What happens when your worst fear becomes your reality? Hi, I'm Brent Cassidy. Welcome to the Nightmare Success In and Out podcast, where we explore how to overcome your fears and nightmares and set yourself free. We're going to be exploring this topic with guys that was in Leavenworth with and others who survived their own nightmare. These stories can be inspiring, sometimes sad. There's some humor, but hopefully you can come away with a nugget of something that'll help you knock down some of the prisons you built up in your own mind. Okay, folks, we are back. Nightmare success in and out. You guys come here for what happens when your worst fear becomes your reality. Well, I've got an interesting guest today. I mean, we were just talking about this. It's Masters Week. This guy was the guy that could get you Masters tickets. This guy is the guy that could get you the Kentucky Derby tickets. He was in the ticket business, and then his world kind of went crazy. He got addicted. He was kind of running around with a rough crowd with the mob and other people, but uh, it eventually led him to prison, and, and he lived through it, and he's back. And he's doing good things, so I can't wait to jump into this. Before we do that, I want to give a shout-out to our show sponsor, Auto Plaza Direct. You know, who likes going and spending a couple of weekends walking the lots looking for a car? Then you spend four or five hours in the dealership to buy a car. This is kind of like a trip to the dentist. Well, there's a better way. Take away all your pain and hassle of getting a car. It's called Auto Plaza Direct. They are your personal car concierge. Just tell them the car you want, what you can pay, and they'll go find that car for you. They'll negotiate your best price, and they'll deliver that car to you wherever you are. They also offer you warranties and financing. It's all full service. Go to autoplazadirect.com to get started with your personal car concierge. The new hassle-free way, the car buying experience you deserve, Auto Plaza Direct. Tell them that Brent from Nightmare Success sent you. Okay, folks, here we go. Darren Landis, welcome. Thank you. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I am good. Life is good today. Well, we we were just catching up um, over the last few minutes here, but uh, you've got a really interesting story. You, I mean, you were even telling me your dad was uh, uh, early on a Yankees pitcher, and you've got you you've been in the sports world for a long time. Pretty much my whole life. Your whole life. Yeah. Can you walk us back a little bit, Darren? What so people can kind of get to know the Darren early on. What was what was young Darren doing in the days? So like I said, I grew up in a very athletic family. Um, so most of my summers, even winters, um, were at a field or a court or whatever. My sisters played sports. I played sports. And um, that was just our life. You know, I mean, like I said, my father played professional baseball. And... Um, What's that like as a kid when your dad is the guy that actually made it all the way? Is that, is that good or does that put extra pressure on you? What does that do? Well, I think that for me, I was very proud of it. Yeah. You know, but it also caused a lot of insecurity, yeah. a, lot, a lot of fears because I felt like I had to measure up. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he was tough on me. Yeah. And he always coached me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I was always the one that was probably worked harder because he would put more pressure on me because yeah. he wanted me to succeed. Sure. Um, but I didn't have some of the God-given talents he did. Yeah. Nor did I work at it. Yeah. So. Well, that's the thing. I mean, the guys that really have the talent and work at it, those are the guys that really make it. Because, yeah. you know, you can you can outwork somebody for a while, but yeah. when, you're, when you're going to the pros or you're playing D1, it, it's a different world. Yeah. And I grew up in a great family. I mean, I grew up in a very, I always call it, 
you know, middle to upper class, mm-hmm. middle upper class and suburbia. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to a private high school and um, you know, I, I have no regrets it was all good. about my childhood. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So after high school, what, where did you venture off to? So I was an average student in high school. Yeah. Um, a lot of my friends were going to, you know, SMU and Vanderbilt or fancy Stanford, stuff. you know, fancy schools. Yeah. And, uh, and my first year I went to Merrimack, yeah. which is a community college. And for those down in the Cayman Islands, that's a little <laughs> college here in, in St. Louis. Right. Um, and then I went to a, a university at that time. It was called Southwest mm-hmm. Missouri State. But I wasn't a great student. You know, I did the whole. So after high school, like I knew. So you were an SMS guy. I was. Yeah. Well, yeah. my dad. That's where my dad played basketball. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm, I'm addicted to Mexican Villa, which. Yeah. And I, I only think Springfield people like it. But some people like it right. outside of Springfield. Right. Um, but I went there for a few years. And, and so while. To back up, my dad was in the sporting goods world. Yeah. Uh, so he ran a chain of sporting goods stores in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because of that relationship, I, my very first job, I didn't even finish college. I went straight to work for Adidas. Okay. Um, and I was a sales rep. That and sounds like a good job. I was stoked. I'm yeah. like, this is great, mm-hmm. you know. And so I was in Kansas City. Um, had a lot of success professionally. And so they transferred me to Dallas to take over the second biggest market with Adidas. Wow. And this is back in the day when Adidas was kind of coming back from yeah. the old Nike breakup and yeah. all that. Yeah, um, So it was fun. Um, but that's where, like, the partying started. Sure. It's where I kind of just... A lot of dinners, a lot of... Yeah. Dinners, yeah. Uh, chasing the almighty dollar, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be successful. And and just it, it kind of created this whole um, persona of me that was insecure on the inside. Mm-hmm. But I had this facade on the outside that I had it all together. So what do you think the insecurity was at that time? No question. It was from the way I was brought up with my dad. Yeah. Of just, just that inner never child measuring. wanting to prove yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Never measuring up. Yeah. You know, and so, and it carried with me for a long time through life. And yeah. we'll get into that. Yeah. So. So you get into that world. Yep. You're doing well with Adidas. Is, is there some stumble or is it, how does this, how does this world happen for you? Well. The, my time in the sports world was basically, um, like you said, it was a lot of like being on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, I would get in my car and I'd be gone for two weeks, yeah. schlepping shoes and clothes yeah. throughout Texas and Oklahoma. And so I would get bored. So I'd start drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd, it got to the point to where I would literally pull into, I would call a hotel and say, where's the closest bar? Sure. And that's kind of where my addiction to alcohol began. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd go back to Dallas and I, you know, I bought a boat and, you know, life was good. Yeah. It sounds or good. Or so I thought. Yeah. You know, um, did yeah. you feel like at that time, Darren, that that was just normal? You know, I'm rolling into town. I'm going to relax a little escape here. I'm heading to the bar. Didn't feel like you were addicted. No, not at the time I didn't, yeah. but you know, alcoholism is a progressive disease. Sure. And so it just consistently got worse. Yeah. So. So you end up, you you you're going and doing life's good. You got the boat, and then, well, and then I meet some. I meet a woman in Dallas, yeah, and we end up getting married, yeah. Um, and I I was with, still with Adidas at this time, and um, then I took a job kind of outside the sports world because she didn't. We were living in Missouri, okay, 
Um, she hated St. Louis. <laughs> I mean, literally. Perfect marriage. Yeah. <laughs> she said to me, she said to me, she said, I'll give it a year. Okay. And we lived in Brentwood, which yeah. is a suburb of St. Louis. Yeah. And literally, she didn't say anything all year. But the day that 365 days came up, she said, I told you I'd give you a year. We're moving. I hate this place. She was out of there. She was out. Wow. So we moved to Sarasota, Florida. Well, that seems like that's a good plan. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it was a good plan. I like Sarasota. It was. So was this a job? Did you get a new job down there or were you able I, to? I was actually working for AT&T at the time. I was okay. a senior sales director for them. Okay. And, and I kind of used them at the time to get transferred. Got it. To be honest with you. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's a big company. Yeah. 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 How did you get into the ticket sports world then? So while I'm down there, um, I was a member of a country club called TPC Prestancia, which is a part of the TPC network. Mm -hmm. um, and I lived the country club life. My wife played tennis. Um, I was making pretty good money. And um, through that, I met a really neat guy who had had some background in, um, in this world of Sports packages. Yeah, so just somebody you met yeah. at the club. Yeah. Okay. So we actually started an amateur golf tour is what we did. Okay. And at the time, this is pre-9-11. Yeah. And um, at the time, we had just signed on Tommy Bahama to be a sponsor of this amateur golf tour. It's a big deal. That we, yeah, that we had visions of taking nationwide. Okay. 9-11 um, happens. They lost a bunch of people on the, from the fifth floor of the first tower. So here we are with this whole concept, but no sponsor. Yeah. So luckily, I had some friends at Anheuser-Busch, and actually Anheuser-Busch sponsored our tour, and it was called the Michelob Ultra Tour. Another good sponsor. Yeah. So we built this thing. Uh, we were in 55 markets, had like 7,000 members. Uh, Anheuser-Busch paid us over $3 million a year to sponsor. I mean, we had like You're really built real this Real deal. Yeah. And it was amateur. It was all amateur. Yep. Wow. So, um, and that was fun. Yeah, was I bet golf, that was a blast. Golf is a passion. But again, the drinking is still going on. And yeah. My wife's a drinker. And and the reason I bring up the drinking so much is because it's a big part of my story. Yeah. Back then and then where I am today. Yeah. So. So you get into that. You're into the golf world. You're doing well. Yeah. I mean, you got a great sponsor. I'm going to the Masters. <laughs> and the Masters we were just talking about is maybe the greatest sporting event ticket to have. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been, and it's just it's just so much fun to, to be a part of that unique event. Um, so you did you did you see that there was an avenue from the golf into these? The tick, yeah. Okay. So basically, we had, I went to the Masters a couple years in a row, mm -hmm. and we met some folks that basically live in Augusta. Yeah. They rent their houses out. Everybody rents their houses yeah. out. It's yeah. It's crazy. And so we would, uh, we just formed some relationships, and we started selling these packages to the members of our golf tour. Right. And almost like a prepackaged uh, clientele. Yeah. Yeah. It was, they got, you know, a place to stay, you know, the hotel or yeah. whatever, tickets to the event. Yeah. Food, drinks, all that stuff. So that turned into, it was kind of an arm of our business. Mm -hmm. And we were doing legitimate numbers for like the Kentucky Derby, the mm -hmm. Super Bowl, the Final Four. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of snowballed a little bit. Um, and I'm sure you would have repeat business. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Mainly Fortune 1000 companies. Sure. Um, that would want to take clients or yeah. their staff. Yeah. So, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, things were good.
So you get so in, you get into that, and you've got. I mean, it sounds like you were a great entrepreneur, or not not afraid to take risk and no. and and going out and getting what you needed to make it work. I mean, it sounds like your head was spinning when you went to the masters. Thought, oh my god, I could make something out of this. I got all these golfers that are part of my organization. I could prepackage all this stuff, sell it, and then oh my gosh, there's other stuff out here, Kentucky Derby and whatever. Your personal life, what's going on there? So. By this time, my wife and I were pretty much drinking every day. I mean, I, I think when we first got married, we envisioned the white picket fence life. With, yeah. You know, being a coach and, you know, yeah. doing just suburbia type family. But that never transpired. So I think we were both alcoholics. and it's, Our marriage was more friends of just going out and partying, mm -hmm. you know. And I was partying for work and I was traveling and doing all this stuff. And it just wasn't conducive to a healthy marriage. Mm -hmm. So did you, do you think that that played into you getting deeper into your personal nightmare? Oh, no question. Yeah. No question. Because at that time, you know, I had already failed in my mind. Mm -hmm. I'd already failed athletically because mm -hmm. I didn't advance. Right. Cause you didn't school. go pro. Yeah. Right. Um, I had kind of failed scholastically Yeah. because I didn't finish college. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely the black sheep of my family. My sisters kind of are more, you know, they finished college and they, yeah. you know, they, they did things the way, I guess, the world tells you you're supposed to do. Yeah. They're amazing. I'm, but what's incredible is, is you had had great success. Yeah. You just didn't recognize it. Right. Professionally, things yeah. were good. Yeah. But, um, but there was, the rest of my world was kind of crumbling around me. Yeah. And it just, it just progressed into something that, um, so basically... Well, tell while, us a little bit about yeah, it. Yeah. So while I'm in Dallas, I'm introduced to gambling. Yeah. Sports gambling. Sure. And which is um, legalized now, basically. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't even do scratch offs these right. days, but um, but I was introduced to that, and you know, when you're an addict, you have this dopamine level in your brain, whether it's a you're getting in a buzz or winning five bucks on a football game. Sure. And so. Um, I became very quickly addicted to the thrill of winning, yeah. even though I lost a lot more than I won. Mm -hmm. And so that really, those two things between the drinking and the, the gambling, I mean, it took me down a very dark road mm -hmm. and um, a lot of looking over my shoulder. And mm -hmm. we'll talk about that, but a lot of very bad business decisions, bad decisions with my marriage, bad decisions. With, you know, my family didn't really trust me at the time. It was just... It was pure chaos, mm -hmm. and it was just trying to manage it all. Did you feel, you're saying that now, did you feel that then? Oh, absolutely. You felt it was crumbling around oh, you? Oh, yeah. You felt the stress? I did. I mean, there were times I was like, you know, the world would be better without me in it. Yeah, you that's know? deep. That's dark. Yeah, it was yeah. a dark place in my life. And so um, I'm just so grateful for today. Yeah, because, I mean, I think once you survive that, and you you don't take the the darkest path of you know the permanent solution that's yeah. a temporary problem. Walk us into how this transpired. Your nightmare of what happened, what led you into having to stand in front of a judge. Yeah. So uh, when I was gambling, I was losing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I mean, hundreds of thousands, and. You know, I was putting $5,000 on the coin flip of a football game and, 
you know, just stuff that I look at now. I'm like, you are a complete <laughs> moron for doing that. But um, I got behind, mm-hmm. you know. And this is back in the days of Craigslist. Yeah. And some of you may know what that is, some may not. But because I had had some success in, in this, you know, sports package business, mm-hmm. the internet was kind of new. But people could Google my name and see that, oh, this is a legit guy. Yeah, he's guy. a legitimate guy who's been in the business. Yeah. So that what I would do, look, this is how chaotic it was. Like, if I owed my bookie, who was tied to the mob, mm-hmm. um, out of Chicago, if I owed him $8,000 that week, I would literally just hop on Craigslist and say, I have master's packages for sale. Mm-hmm. And it was basically this Rob Peter to pay Paul scheme. Yeah, to keep you from getting your knees knocked in. Yeah. And, and it... And it it was fine at first, but then it's like trying to keep up with that. You couldn't keep up with it. You can't. I mean, it was a Bernie Madoff yeah. small version of that, yeah. of trying to constantly pay these guys off, deal with my addiction to gambling, yeah. still drinking every day. I mean, it was so bad that at the very end, I would literally walk into this bar here in St. Louis. Yeah, They would open at 10 for me, 11 for the public. That's nice. They would invoice me at the end of the month for my drinks. Yeah. They have to pay. Yeah. Um, but I would literally turn on the horse racing, sports, and keno on these things. And I'd yeah, sit there and I would just drink and gamble. Wow. And I would be getting messages from my bookies in Chicago saying, Hey, where's my twelve grand? Where's this? So I would get on Can't my imagine. laptop and just sell something to get them off my off yeah. my case. Yeah. And that just snowballed like the cartoons. I mean, Did you have people contacting you saying, hey, where's my tickets? What's going on? Well, I try to get creative with the way I did this. Yeah. So I was selling stuff that the event was far in advance. Yeah. So I would sell like 2024 20, master's tickets, mm-hmm. knowing that they're I not going to need or, them. Right. They're not going to need them tomorrow. Right. And so, but eventually that caught up with me because. Eventually, unfortunately, the Masters happened. Exactly. You know, or the Derby happened or whatever. And but I probably had 30, 40 people that I just, I was playing this game with. Yeah. And it really came to a head where I could not take the pressure anymore. And I was at the bar drinking. I was on my way to the casino. And I was woke up by a park ranger in a canoe at Creekcore Lake. And I just wanted to die. I mean, I was, the pressure was so intense. Yeah. And I felt such shame and such guilt. And my family was like kind of standoffish. And, yeah. And my friends were. You felt alone on yeah, an island, very, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And so I literally said, God help me. And like two days later, I was on my way to rehab in Newport Beach, California. And that's where the transformation got good. But. I also knew there were consequences of, of what had been going on. Right. Now, did at that time did, did you have any indication at all that anything was going on, investigations or anything like that, or was it there was no nothing in your life that, that I knew it was coming. You did, yeah. I knew. I definitely knew that there's no the ball. It was so big. There's no way it wouldn't just no go way. away, right? Because I had people, companies calling me, threatening to sue me, and sure. this and that. I knew something was coming. Somebody's going to say something to somebody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I also knew that I had a huge problem with my addiction that I needed to get help in. Yeah. So. Right. Because you've the only way you can fix and go better is yeah. to be alive. Right. Right. So you go to this rehab. Yeah. Um, did, 
it's, it's always interesting talking to people that have gone through that process because when, you know, you have to want to do it because if you don't, you don't grab onto it. Right. It sounds like you were ready, just you were so worn out. Absolutely. I was exhausted. Yeah. I was tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. You know? And so while I'm in rehab, I had probably been there a few months and um, my family kind of knew that something was coming down the pipe. Mm-hmm. And while I'm there, the FBI paid me a nice little visit. At the rehab. At the rehab. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so by this point, I was probably a couple months sober. You know, when you get sober, your mind kind of clears up mm-hmm. and, and you have more astute thoughts. Yeah. And so they take me to this room and they got all these contracts of these packages that I had sold these people, mm-hmm. co- companies primarily. And I stopped them. I mean, it was like a, I don't know, seven a big binder. It was. It was a big binder. A heavy one. And I said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you all right now, I've never been in trouble. I've had a DUI in my life. Mm-hmm. Whatever is in there is true. Yeah. All I ask is that you be lenient on me and let me finish rehab. Wow. And they did. They did let you finish. They did. They said, call us when you get back to St. Louis. So that's what I did. I was out there in Southern California for six months and, um, that's where the transformation began. Yeah. But it's also when I knew I was facing time. Yeah, facing time. So you, what was going through your mind? I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a lot to think about. I mean, here I am. I'm finally getting back my, my brain. My, you know, I'm, I'm thinking clearly after going through this blur of this life that, you know, of gambling and drinking and all the things that were going on. And now you're, you're clear in your head. And that clear head thought has to be thinking, man, the stuff that's heading in front of me is scary. It, it, it is. But but I think, honestly, by that point, I was so grateful to not be in the prison in my head. Yeah. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah. We talk about that all the time on yeah. here. You know, everybody's got prisons they've built up in their own mind. The question is, how do you knock them down, walk around it, over it, under it, whatever you do? Because if you can't get through that, you institutionalize yourself. Yeah. And I knew it was going to suck. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know exactly, you know, I didn't really understand the legal system. I didn't understand if I was looking at 20 years or two years or, you know. Right. And uh, I learned that quickly. And I got home and um, I called them and and my attorney began to work with them. And and, um, so I was originally sentenced to a year and a day. Okay. Which is about eight months or so. I I tried to, people were like a day. And I I explained to them that that's how they work that back. Yeah. So, I was sent to Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. Um, and I was at a camp. Yeah. And um, I had a pretty crappy job there. I think that is where uh, Jared Kushner's dad was, uh, who is the son-in-law of Trump. Okay. It, that, and I think that's why he was so involved with the uh, First Step Act. is Because oh, cool. he, his dad, I think, went two years there. Yeah, yeah. And then in that prison, in that camp. I mean, it was beautiful. It was right yeah. on a golf course, and yeah. I mean, it was they had a big track, and yeah. But I mean, it was such a short time. But by this time, I was sober. I was feeling good. I was just looking forward to a new life. Yeah, you know, when well, I got out, was what was it like entering that for you? Because you went through rehab, which would would have been an experience in itself. Yeah, and then you go to prison, and you're standing at the gate, and. Yeah. Knowing you're going in, even though it's for a short amount of time. I mean, what, what kind of thoughts do you have going through your head? I just wanted that? to get well, done with it. Yeah. You know? Get me started so I can get done. Get me started so I can get done. Yeah. And um, and really just kind of um, almost 
I don't want to say I was excited I was in prison. Yeah. But to get that part of my life behind me and yeah. a fresh start. I get it. You know? You you'd had you'd hit your rock bottom. Yeah. And this is your new beginning. Yeah. And part of your new beginning was walking through this prison. Right. Yeah. Right. But there's a, more to the story. Yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> that's that's why we have these shows. Right. There's right. more to it. That, yeah. that, that right there is called a teaser. In <laughs> fact, I think I'll take that as a clue to, to introduce our second sponsor because I want to hear the second part of this story. Um, Aaron Duncan net and he is a crisis management company and you know this is something we could have used darren and we could have used aaronduncan.net what do they do what's aaronduncan.net do their job is to make bad news go away they're known as the trauma surgeons of brand crises corporate scandals high profile litigation legal investigation prosecutions what do they do? Well, they do crisis management, crisis communication, media relations, reputation management, prison consulting, coaching. If you're on your way in, Aaron Duncan will help you get through that. For a confidential consultation regarding crisis or reputation management, get a hold of Aaron W. Duncan at gmail.com or text or phone 636 5071 Aaron Everybody needs a crisis manager. Boy, do we. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's get back into this. So you get through your, your, your stint yep. in, in Alabama. Um, you get out. So walk us into the, the rest of the story. So as Darren. many, well, most probably don't know, but when you go into prison, you pretty much lose everything. Yes. You know, yes. Whether it's monetary all, almost all monetary yeah. things, You're houses, down. cars, all that stuff. Yeah, everything. So um, I was starting over, Yeah, you know. Even though I was sober, I was still starting life over at 40, some 42 years old or yeah. whatever it was. And um, because I had a lot of context with these companies, Anheuser-Busch was one of my biggest clients. Yeah. And they called me. And they said, and, and by the way, as part of my sentencing, I could never enter into that world again. Right. And that was so part I, of your stipulations correct. on your supervision. Correct. So. Which had, you probably had, well, a three-year probationary Three time. years probation. Okay. Yep. So they called me, a good buddy of mine. I'm still friends with him today. He's like, hey, man, I need final four packages. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm out of that. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yada, yada, yada. But, like I said, I was starting life over. Yeah. He's like, well, keep it on the down low. No one will ever know. I yeah. said, so. My bad thinking said, you know what? Just one deal is not going to hurt. Yeah, be good money. Yeah, it'll allow me to have some cash flow. And so I did that, and it went great, you know. And then I got another call, and and, and pretty soon I find myself slowly back in the game. game. Yeah. And just trying to to keep it on the down low. But these guys are getting tickets. Oh, yeah. This is is different. Yeah, this is legit. Yeah. I just want to clear that up. Yeah, no, I didn't go back to what <laughs> right, I was doing. Right, right, right. Because you, you, you're not, you're not in the position you were. In the, right. You're not paying people off the way. Yeah. No. Right. I am paying restitution. Yeah. Time, though. Yeah. You know, I think it was one hundred ninety thousand, yeah. something like that. And so, uh, what happened was, was that I had this guilt. I had this like voice in my head saying, "What you're doing is not right." Mm-hmm. You know. The other side was trying to justify it. Well, you were living on the edge because, I mean, yeah. you're, you're dealing with the federal government, and whether you think they're paying attention or not, somehow, some way, 
it feels like they are watching. Oh, yeah. 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 I still feel that way. Yes, today. absolutely. It gives you PTSD. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And um, so I was talking to my spot, my AA sponsor. By mm. this time, I had been starting to go into AA. And yeah. I told him what I had been doing. And he said, you know what you need to do, right? And I said, no. He said, it's a program of rigorous honesty. You need to go turn tell your probation officer. Mm. My first reaction was, are you effing crazy? Yeah. You know? So I called her, and I said, can I talk to you? Went down to the courthouse, sat down with her, just told her. Wow. And I, and she, this is what she said. She said, I, kn- I knew that. Wow. I said, how did you know that? She's like, she's like, if I don't hear anything from the prosecutor, we're good. Mm-hmm. Don't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and so a couple months goes by, and... Three months goes by, five months goes by. I'm like, I'm in the clear. I'm not doing this anymore. Life is starting to get better. Yeah. And then um, I get a call. It's from her. And so I not only violated my probation, I picked up a new charge. Mm. Um, so what happened was is I went before the judge, and I was resentenced mm. to two and a half years in Pensacola prison. Mm. So I'm a two-time prison visitor. Mm-hmm. And um, what did that feel like? Oh boy, um, I wasn't as nervous because I had already experienced yeah, it. Right, you don't have that fear. No, but I just felt like the biggest failure. Yeah, who, you know, they always when you yeah. go through the the classes in prison, they're like the recidivism. Yeah, it is. Recidivism goes from that. We might as well throw that out there. It's two thirds in three years and three fourths in five years. So you're talking about seventy five percent recidivism for that cycle right which is a high number so when i'm listening to this the first time i'm like what no idiot, way what idiot yeah would who would do that right, right. <laughs> exactly so um so i went back and and um, i was sentenced to pensacola my family had my what are fam- they thinking i think by this time they were disappointed in my decisions on the tickets and stuff like that yeah. but i think they were pretty happy with overall my life yeah and the fact that Felt i was like sober were, yeah i was involved in recovery um i was helping other people yeah um so i really had kind of two worlds going on where's your wife in this scenario she, we had been divorced you guys got divorced Pri- you, prior to all this stuff prior happened. to all of it yeah. okay yeah. all right so, so you she, it was a mess uh, yeah. yeah so you 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 go back in you're in pensacola yep um, walk us through that. Well, I was a cornhole champion. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's, uh, you know, I really had a sweet gig and that I walked in and the first guy I met worked at the golf course on the naval base. Yeah. So I was assigned to go work on the golf course. Yeah. And I think you said you did as well. I did. I yeah. worked at the Leavenworth Golf Course my last year and a half, and it was the best prison job anybody could ever yeah. have. Yeah, and it's the best, it's the best one you can get for yeah. sure. Um, so we would literally hop in the van every morning, go mow tees and greens on Pensacola Bay, yeah. you know, on the water. Right next and, to the ocean. Yeah. And so, but you're still incarcerated. Yeah. It, you know? it goes back to your mind thing. Yeah. I, I, get, I totally get that. Yeah. So I just did my time, but I, I really think it was that, that was the moment that I said, I cannot live in a gray world. Mm-hmm. You know, I, everything's got to be black and white with me. Yeah. I can't afford to. Can't Other live. Can't, can't live in the gray. No, you can't. Yeah, I had a guy on here, uh, Sean Hayes, and he had a big bank here in town, and and uh, his book that he wrote is is uh, 
called the gray choice. And he said, he's, you know, he's a very, very smart guy. And, and he lived in the gray, I think because some of it was that there was the, I don't know, the race of the gray, you know, the, the, you know, that feeling that you get the adrenaline rush yeah. when you're in the gray, cause you're outsmarting people. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. You say you couldn't live in that gray. You had to be black or white. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. And, so go, going to Pensacola, I think the second time around is what changed my life. Yeah. Um, I, I basically at that Which point, is interesting, Darren, because you, you, you had taken a step with rehab and you realized, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting right. My mind's getting right. I'm, I'm getting off the addiction. But you weren't all the way there. Yeah. You know, in recovery, we talk about half measures. Yeah. And I think for me, the first three or four years of being sober um, – I was half-assing it, Yeah, you know, and it was at that point when I was in Pensacola that I... Did you ever fall off? No. No. Never relapsed. So you really didn't half-ass it to that way. No. You, you just, you... I wasn't putting the work in. You weren't in. black and white. Yeah. 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 And I wasn't putting the work in. Yeah. And so, um, in Pensacola, I did that. And so when I got out of Pensacola, I mean, I was, I was in the, I was happy. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, I'm never coming back there again, and, and I won't. You know? yeah. Cause, because the way I live my life today is that um, I live simply. Mm -hmm. And I'm totally okay with that. Isn't that interesting, though? Because I think one of the things that I find when you, you go through the type of thing like this, you also find out that you don't need a lot to adapt and survive. Right. I mean, when you get down broken down to a plastic chair, a locker, uh, and a bunk bed, and that's your world, you can survive that and right. you can adapt to that. So it, it does introduce you into a new thing in your life of, okay, what, what do I need to make myself feel good? Right. Yeah. And I used to put so much emphasis, you know, going to a private high school and living in the world that I lived in, uh -huh. it was all about more, yeah, bigger, yeah, you know, bigger houses, bigger cars, go from a five series to a seven series, yeah. you know, where you're right. I mean, when you're in prison, you are living simply amongst, you know, I had 12 guys on my cube yeah. that were living five feet apart from me. Right. And so. Did that insecurity thing start to shed? I think the insecurity thing really started getting better when I got sober. Yeah. Because through that, I went through a lot of therapy. Right. And my relationship with my father today could not be better. Mm -hmm. um, we've both made our amends to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think honestly, it's great. Yeah. It's great. And today I'm comfortable in my own skin, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that that's a great feeling. Yeah. A lot of people want to get there to that. Yeah. So um, it's been a journey, but, but I think the biggest thing that I learned through the whole thing is that our mistakes don't define who we are. No. There's a lot of really good people that have done really stupid stuff. Yeah. And so for so long I held on to the shame and guilt of being a felon right you know i'm not a big gun guy but i can't own a gun right you know there's certain things i can't do that other people for the rest of your life yeah. right. well being an ex-felon is a life sentence i mean you you choose to live in it and make the you know the world um that you live in but you have that basically tattooed on you and then how you you know i i always say that, that you you're being an ex-felon if you go through this everybody has that that has, is an ex-felon, how you choose to deal with that right. 
is how you survive it. Well, I think, you know, you know this as well as I do. There are, there are two types of people that are locked up. And mm-hmm. the, the one group of them will continue to do the same thing over and over right. when they get out. Right. And then the other people look at it and say, wow, I need to really change my ways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so... Um, what, let me ask you this, though, Darren. When you, when you know you're getting close to the door, you're get, getting ready to get out, what are you thinking? Like, what, what, what are you thinking your next steps are getting out? Because you're, you're of clear mind. You know, you feel probably the best you felt yeah, for in sure. your life, maybe. For sure. What were you thinking your next steps were going to be heading out? So my faith is a big part of my life, and it's a big part of my story. Mm-hmm. And I really, by this point, had just literally said, God, just guide me, mm-hmm. you know, and um, not not my will, yours. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what happened was, was that things just kind of fell into place when I got home. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a buddy that owned a big restaurant group here in St. Louis, and I went to work for them for a while. And, um, you know, I, I am, and currently I own a, uh, I'm a third-party seller on Amazon. Which and, is cool. And, yeah. and, and, and this is... When I was talking to you the other day, what, what I find fascinating about your story is, is that um, you did all these different things and you were a, a, really an incredible entrepreneur, but you really weren't giving yourself credit for that because you have something down deep said, I'm, I'm not good enough. But the, the things that you were able to put together, the things that you were doing uh, were smart entrepreneurial steps. And, you know, I think what you're doing, you know, now well, you told me you got the idea from a guy that was doing really well, which is, I think, one of the first steps, you know, find out somebody's getting it right and then do what they do. Right. And then you can get those results. It's like getting the answers to the test before the test. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's interesting how you you took your world uh, and you had people that believed in you because you got into the restaurant business and did well. Mm-hmm. But uh, then you were still looking for an opportunity and you took that opportunity by finding somebody that knew what they were doing. And now you've got a good going business. Yeah. And I think everybody's heard of Amazon, right? Yeah, right. right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been, it's been something that I never thought I would do. Yeah. You know, I never thought I'd be in the restaurant business. Yeah. Um, well, how do you, like, because you were kind of in the catering yeah, sales catering side, events right? and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I did, you li- did you like it? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. Which I think it's interesting. You were also doing like wine tasting stuff. And here you are as the guy yeah. that's, that's not doing that. Yeah. No, we were doing bourbon tastings and wine tastings and stuff like that. And willpower. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a lot of willpower, but also I, by this time I am so plugged into AA yeah. and, and my sober friends. Yeah. You got like, a strong I, foundation. I have all these safety nets in place today. Yeah. That the second I start to deviate off course. Yeah. They will whip Big me. message, though, though, Darren, on that. Having a good safety net. Oh, yeah. Having the support. Having a bad day. You can call somebody and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I know it's nuts, but I feel like I'm thinking this. Right. And then you can have somebody that says, hey, no, Darren, you're on the right track. Man. Yeah. Don't and, get off that. And I'm blessed. I, you know, I tell people today, I keep my circle very small today mm-hmm. by choice. Yeah. I don't care how many Facebook friends I have yeah. or Instagram friends or whatever. Yeah. I know that I've got a core of people in my life that um, that will do that type of stuff, and, mm-hmm. and they will always be there, and, and I will be there for them. And it's it's been a game changer for sure. And I'm I'm super close to my family again. I mean, all the things I lost, you've gathered back, got it all back. Sometimes 
some of it took longer. Yeah. Um, but it's all back and things are good. You know, it's a good story, man. I like it. I always ask people this though, you know, after, cause you, you went through a lot. I mean, you know, and through money and, and the alcohol addiction and prison twice, you know, finding your way, you know, you know, finding the path that you said you turned everything over to God, but then you took the steps you needed to take and the responsibility. What do you think is your greatest takeaway through those whole experience you've been through? Oh, boy. Um, that I can walk away from the truth, you know, or my core. Mm-hmm. Or for me, that's God. But, um, but he doesn't walk away from me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the one that lets go. I'm the one that chooses to do my own thing and think that I know, you know, the crazy thing about this whole thing is that I, even in the midst of the chaos, I still felt like I had all the answers. Yeah. Even though my life was a complete yeah. mess. Right. But you thought you had the answers oh, to yeah. it. <laughs> that's, where, that's where the little ego comes in, you know? Like we all got a little ego. Oh, everybody's got a little. And, and the little ego is not bad, but when the ego gets in the way of making sound decisions, sure. that's when that's when the world gets kind of crazy. Yeah. But I think when I really surrendered everything yeah. is when it all turned, you know, and realized that, you know what, my past is my past. Hopefully I can use my story to help others. Yeah. You know? No, I think you've got a powerful story. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's one of those stories where everybody likes a good comeback story and and you've you have that because you didn't give up on yourself you know you could have i mean i know when those dark hours happen and you, yeah. you said you were at creve lake and just decided you know i i could just be not here yeah uh thank god you didn't do that it's a dark place man. yeah it, it is such a dark place and and those are so far removed from who i am today yeah you probably don't even recognize no, those you thoughts don't. you don't yeah you don't so yeah that's fantastic um so your 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 business, uh, how does that work though with Amazon? So I you, you and I talked a little bit about this because you you more or less get product. I and, buy product. Yeah, and then Amazon is is your distributor to uh, the world. Right? So people don't realize it, but the majority of items on Amazon are sold by a third party. Yeah. See, I, I, until I talked to you, yeah. I didn't really realize that. So I do things like I buy from wholesalers, like yeah. closeouts. Yeah. Like my, one of my biggest, um, wholesalers, he buys closeouts from Sam's, yeah. Costco, Target. Yeah. So I'll go get stuff at pennies on the dollar, mm-hmm. list it on Amazon, take my little cut. Mm-hmm. But when you have, do you have to have a big warehouse for that? Uh, yeah. 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 To, yeah. to be big. Yeah, yeah, you do. And, and you know, I've been doing this for two years and I would not change it for the world. It's been, it's been awesome. You need to write a book. You know, I started one. My you should. time in. I'd read it. I mean, and you should speak because you got a great personality, Darren. And I think people would want to hear your voice out there because I think it would give them confidence that they could make it through. I really yeah. do. If you guys haven't gotten a book lately, I wrote one. Uh, it's called Nightmare Success. Uh, loyalty. I have to look here. Lo- loyalty, betrayal, life behind bars, adapting. I'm finally breaking free. Uh, you can get that on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, I love uh, when we, we communicate every week, uh, social media, the likes and the comments. Uh, everybody, 
it's so fun when you hit that follow button on Spotify. It's the bell, uh, and Apple. It's it's the little three dots or th- three lines up there that just drops down. You hit follow. And if you got time, I love it when people leave reviews on Apple because it helps uh, put uh, like on you, you, it goes on steroids when when I get reviews because it, it promotes the show. Anybody wants to uh, know a little bit more, BrentCassie.com. I spell that wrong. It's with a T-Y, even though I wanted to be Sean and David Cassie when I was growing up. Uh, but leave me a message. I love to go back and forth with people there. And um, as I used to say when I was typing my uh, emails back and forth when I was at Leavenworth, stay strong. I'll do the same. Darren, thanks so much for your uh, message you. today. Appreciate it. Nightmare success in and out. Thanks, folks. <laughs>